God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. This week has been rough. Two deaths have dominated the news, our public discourse, and our hearts. The first was the death of Michael Brown, an 18-year-old boy killed by a police officer in the Ferguson suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. The second was the suicide of the beloved artist and comedian Robin Williams. Both deaths have made us uneasy and vulnerable. Death has a way of doing that regardless of the circumstance, but the context of these two men dying is that of conflict, weight against community, isolation against belonging. Michael Brown's death has brought to our attention yet again that the deep wounds of racism and socioeconomic bias are sadly alive and thriving in America. Robin Williams' death has brought to our attention the deep wounds that depression causes and the bias against those battling and living with mental illness, a condition in which one in every three Americans is dealing with at any given time. When we have a week like this, where the scope of scrutiny vacillates wildly between broad social brushstrokes and seemingly isolated incidents that hit us personally, it is okay to feel lost and bereft and searching for answers. Searching for answers is a natural result of being human. We look for solutions to problems. We like to analyze complex situations. And whether we read it or not, we appreciate when there's an instruction manual to guide our questions. However, when we become narrowly focused on what is the right answer, to our conflicts, both personal and impersonal, we very quickly lose sight of the fact that there is a person at the center of them. Maybe, when it comes to ironing out conflict within ourselves and between one another, we're asking the wrong questions. A few years ago, Northwestern University noticed a disturbing trend. When campus or global conflicts forced conversation between students, staff, and faculty, answering the questions at hand had the potential to produce rich explorations, he said, but they were equally likely to devolve into shouting matches that increase anger and mistrust. The rabbi realized that when it comes to public discourse of an incident that is shocking or alarming or harmful, we have a tendency to ask, hard questions before we have explored big questions. A hard question is a question that requires particular information to answer it, and therefore only certain people with that knowledge will feel comfortable and confident responding. A big question matters to everybody, and therefore anyone can answer. Hard questions encourage debate and big questions encourage support. 
Everyone's answers are valid when it comes to the big questions, and so space begins to open up. People have the chance to breathe and reflect, to be comfortable admitting that they know and that they don't know. And most importantly, exploring big questions creates the space to trust one another. Examples of hard questions from the deaths we have watched this week would be how do we uphold justice? Or even, do people who commit suicide go to heaven or hell? See what I mean about those being hard and how we, in a clamor to answer these questions, could very well not discuss anything of value, not address the personhood at the center of it, but instead shut down and shut each other out. We do this far too often. The big question I keep coming back to, thinking about all of this external and internal conflict manifested so painfully through these two deaths, is this. How do we belong to one another? This question grows from the overwhelming personal connections we experience towards racism, senseless killing, violence, depression, addiction, suicide, and expressions of grief so powerful that they render people speechless and bring others to tears. It is astonishingly easy to feel lonely these days, and yet we profoundly desire not to be alone. How do we belong to one another? That's a big question. I want you to take a few moments and design a scenario in your imagination or recall a memory where you witnessed or felt a moment of belonging. Whatever image is in your mind, feel the power of it. They say a picture is worth a thousand words because vibrant imagery is so powerful. The power of imagery is that it compels us to know the story to absorb it and incorporate it into us in such a way that it changes our understanding of who we are and who we are called into being. Images give us stories that tell us truth. Images that give us stories tell us truth that can take our breath away. Trying to answer this week's big question, how do we belong to one another, two images come to mind. One image was of the freshman orientation at Howard University this week, a historically black college in Washington, D.C. The picture was of hundreds of incoming students standing in the stadium with their hands in the air in a position of surrender, the same position according to eyewitnesses that Michael Brown, who was two days away from college himself, took before he was killed. That image tells us a truth of how we belong to one another. The second image is from Robin Williams' Oscar-winning role in Goodwill Hunting as Sean McGuire, a therapist to Matt Damon's brilliant but troubled Will. In what I consider the most powerful scene of the movie, Will notices that Sean has the file cataloging, cataloging his brutal physical abuse at the hands of his foster parents. Sean picks up the file and looks at Will, 
puts it down on the table, opens his arm, and in all sincerity says, Will, you see this? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Robin Williams' character says over and over as Will collapses sobbing into Sean's arms. If you have suffered from depression or addiction or deeply loved and cared for someone who does, this image tells us a truth of how we belong to one another. When it comes to figuring out how we belong to one another, perhaps the image you pictured was of the kingdom of God. If you didn't, that's all right, because I'm going to talk about it anyway. What stories, what powerful images can we draw upon to explore this big question? Well, if you're trying to give a sermon about it, you certainly don't hope for most of the readings from this week. In Genesis, you see Joseph tearfully reuniting with his brothers, which is beautiful, until you remember that his brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. In his letter to the Romans, Paul is trying to soothe the deep fears of being rejected and cast out for disobedience. In the gospel, we see Jesus delivering hard truths and being a jerk, actually, withholding blessing until a woman likens herself to a dog's eating scraps from a table just to teach a lesson. These seem to me to be backward stories about belonging, and they show us just how difficult it is to feel and to know that we belong to one another. But there is a ray of hope. There is, in Psalm 133, some powerful imagery telling us a story of profound truth. The psalmist is writing about the blessing of the covenant God made with Israel. The blessing of being God's people is first and foremost that we are brethren, we're family, and there is instant and unconditional belonging. It's good and pleasant when we live in unity. And that's a nice little scene, but the psalmist wants us to explore it further. The blessing is like a fine oil upon the head that runs down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, and runs down the collar of his robe. This is, at first glance, one of the weirdest blessings I could think of, but the image itself is stunning. This moment recalls Exodus 29, when Aaron is ordained as the first priest of Israel. God has told the people that he will come and dwell with them, literally cohabitate in the midst of them, no matter where they go. Part of this promise God makes to his people is that he chooses people to be priests. And that way that priests are marked and set apart is with oil. Precious oil is slowly poured over the head, coating the eyes and lips, dripping the beard into the collar, soaking through the garments until it is pooling at the feet. In this way, priests are marked for service to God and to their community. This is an image of how we belong to one another. God chooses to be in relationship with us. And each one of us is marked for something special, some ministry that only you can offer to share with the world in response to God. 
As Christians, we proclaim and uphold the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood of all believers. Priests uphold and celebrate the sacraments, and we understand sacraments to be outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual grace. As priests, as ones marked by God, we too are drenched with blessing and the opportunity to show one another how we belong to each other because we first are chosen by God to belong to him. It doesn't stop there. The blessing of God, the psalmist continues, is like the dew of Hermon that falls upon the hills of Zion. Now, Hermon is a huge mountain in Syria. And although like the dew sounds simple and sparkly, the reality is is that that altitude dew lies in such a thick blanket, it looks like a heavy rain just came through. And when we live in unity as the family of God, when we honor how we belong to one another, The reality is, is that we are drenched in something that rejuvenates us. We are covered in something that sustains us and gives us life everlasting. How do we belong to one another? We belong to one another because God seeks to be in relationship with us, to dwell in the midst of us, and to make us family. We belong to one another because each of us is coated in oil and therefore marked for ministry. We are priests who are called to be with people in the place that God meets them. We belong to one another because God gives us to each other like dew gives to the mountain, so that we may give each other life, to be sustained and grow alongside one another to quench the thirsting places. How do we belong to one another? We practice it. We uphold one another as precious children of God, acknowledging our own value and the value of those around us. We reach out to each other in grief and in grace. We see the truth revealed in vibrant imagery. We share our stories and recognize their transformative power. We proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ and seek to serve Christ and all people. We continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and of the prayers. We will, with God's help, seek to explore the big questions. How do we belong to one another? Brothers and sisters, if this week has taught us anything, It is the danger of pretending that we do not. Amen.